0: If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
2: Salads generally for most people are the
1: easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who
0: knows where this
2: is going to end up?
0: To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
2: This podcast is powered by Acast.
0: Now, if you hear Norse mythology, the sound of Odin, the hammer throwing Thor, the beautiful Freya, you have been reading Norse cosmology and the sagas. John is looking every day more like Thor. He's back from Norway. How was it?
2: Norway was superb. I really enjoyed it. It was great.
0: I, the, the photos look amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So I spent the first few days in Oslo. Yeah. A lady called, brilliant lady called Claire Macaree, who heads up the Irish-Norwegian Chamber of Commerce. She set up a whole load of chats for me. Brilliant. Interviews. brilliant. So, and I'll bring them to you over the next few weeks. Fantastic. Because it's a fascinating place. Absolutely, Yeah. It was really good. And there's, you know, we'll talk about the the port and moving the port and, and, the future Library, which is a really interesting story. We'll talk about Cognite, who are a unicorn tech company that deal in sustainability and all that. It, interesting stuff. So it was right but, up your street, right up. And Misters. of course,
0: we've got the whole the whole sovereign wealth fund that they're absolutely they're financed for
2: absolutely gazillions of years. Yeah. But the, but the interesting thing, just observations though about Oslo, beautiful city, yeah.
0: I've been, not, there. I've been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, not
2: dissimilar yeah. to Dublin in terms of size and that kind of stuff. Except it's really clean. Yeah, and like for instance, we talk a lot about you know traffic and pedestrianisation. They have this sus because they have a huge congestion charge within Oslo, the centre of Oslo, which prevents people from driving in. Of course, because everything is expensive in Oslo. But with, the aim is to make it completely pedestrianised. But the cars that are there, for instance, last year, 75% of new cars were electric. Wow. So the city kind of whirs. Yeah, a, but yeah, that's, yeah. That's the sound that's of the lovely. city.
0: That is lovely.
2: And it's yeah. either whirring from the cars or, the, you know, those um, those scooters, yeah, the yeah electric yeah, yeah. scooters, which I used all the time.
0: And I the interesting thing is they've got probably a worse climate than us in terms of rain and cold. And yet they're yeah. up on their bikes and their electric scooters. And they, exactly. They don't regard this as a problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's yeah, it's the old,
2: I don't know, it's Swedish or Norse Scandy thing. There's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. Yes, I, I love that. I <laughs> love that. And tell me, and then you went all the way up to... I went all the way up to Chomsø. Well, actually, the, the interesting just before we leave Oslo, the, what I found really curious was, by the way, there was no election, Couldn't see any... But the shops, there seems to be an, an inordinate amount of both outdoor and indoor shops. So outdoor stuff because the sky, you know, the The, north, the Scandies oh,
0: love going up to the mountains, yeah, and, and, yeah, and yeah.
2: you know, snowshoeing or skiing or climbing or whatever it is. But then there seem to be a huge or an equal number of interior soft furnishing
0: shops. John, your weirdness for the soft furnishing is beyond. I <laughs> thought that was really odd. It's called it's called wealth. Right. Is you think of these incredibly wealthy societies. Incredibly wealthy societies have a fascination with lighting, interiors, interior design. Right. Because they're because they're rich. You know, I mean the Norwegians have been they were actually amazingly poor and then very rich very quickly. So I believe. And I think people don't really realise that that up until the discovery of oil, the Norwegians were a very poor country.
2: Apparently they were, you know, in the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties. Norway was a poorer place than Ireland in the 1950s, 1960s, and that's that was pretty poor. Absolutely, Ireland in the
0: 50s—you don't want to be going there. You don't. Be, so, so you're up because I, I you sent me the photos. Did you see the Northern Lights? Now, this is I,
2: I'm I'm not sure. Was, that's just, <laughs> that's a
0: typical Davis answer. So, <laughs> well, yes, tell you what so it was. Yes no, it's
2: I, not University Challenge. What it was is I I went out one night and I climbed up this hill and I was sitting there as you do for a few hours. It was partly cloudy. So it was all patchy clouds. And I reckoned I, I should be able to see the, the Northern Lights. And they were on that night. But the moon was also bright. So all these things are factors. But then what I did see, what appeared in the sky was like the shape of the Northern Lights. But they looked more to me like kind of weird clouds. Mm-hmm. And there was no color in it. So either I was imagining the Northern Lights or I'm the only one who saw the Northern Lights in black and white. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be just you. That would be just you. <laughs> oh, bring stuff. we we'll definitely. I, I want to come back to Norway because it's. It sounds. It sounds. I have lots of lots of things a, to tell But also, one of yeah. you know, just one of the reasons that John went up there was that we've been doing the podcast for the last two years and chatting away and you know comparing things and at almost every metric we compare Ireland to or Britain to or America to. Norway comes out number one. Yeah. So you gotta see yeah. there's something just not oil, there's something else going on up there. Yeah. And it's it's well worth it's well worth the delve. So
2: we'll explore this further over over the next few weeks.
0: And you you can get maybe some really weird Viking metal band, <laughs> Norwegian, Norwegian. <laughs> They, yeah, love a, they, they love the metal. Yeah. So Norwegian metal background. And away we yeah, go. Yeah. Away Death we, metal. Yeah, exactly. Viking metal. is that what it's called? <laughs> but John, before we start, I want to tell you about next Tuesday. Not this Tuesday, next Tuesday. Yeah. We're going to be introducing and launching a new online course. So in a way, I've always thought that the best way to think about economics is to learn economics, to teach economics, to talk about it. And what we have is we've been working on it all summer. Well, I've been working on it all summer. You haven't. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching your work. If you watching this me, my, my favorite kind ex- of work. Ex- exactly. But it's it's on monetary economics, the history of money, where money comes from. Basically, I'd, all the conversations I'm having with people about cryptocurrencies, how is that changing the world? Yeah. And I thought to myself, okay, cryptocurrency. Let's take that as the basis. It's a new approach to money. It's an innovation in the technology that is money. So it's looking at money historically. How it's changed us? How it's changed the world? Yeah. What is it? Where does it come from? All these basic questions that most people read really kind of like if you well, it's, it's kind of stuff you kind of take for granted. Yeah, until you start thinking about it, and it's really strange. Yeah. And the course is eleven hours online with notes, with reading lists, yeah, videos, the whole thing. And I, I think and it's actually, to- actually, actually, Mike, just before you start.
2: Didn't you receive some sort of what have I got here in my hand? Oh, Trinity Business School Teaching Excellence Award 2021.
0: Well, thank Come, you very much, Charles. Congratulations. So, well, yes, yeah, so that's, that's fantastic. No, actually, I'm really proud of that because that is an award I got from teaching in Trinity last mm. year but it's from the students i mean it's given by oh, the right. college yeah right but yeah, it's yeah. actually the students and that's if you're a teacher right my teacher yeah but it's, it's the basic idea that if you teach and i love teaching right mm. the most joyous thing you go into the classroom and you start teaching and then you see gradually people's faces changing Students face, as they get it,
2: yeah, as they go, yeah.
0: oh, right, okay, I get that. So this is the students they every year. And they start year. making
2: all the connections. Connections,
0: and, to, they stand there, and then yeah, you can yeah. see them going, okay, is that what this means? And that's what I love. There's, there is an alchemy in teaching. And mm. I love that moment where the penny drops and suddenly we're all on the same. And it's, we're kind of aquaplaning then, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so the, the students rate the course they rate the teachers they rate the whole thing and and it's been three it's well, great it's
2: fantastic so it's the
0: students you know it's, it's always much better to get recognition from your students than your peers yeah. so bear that in mind
2: guys but <laughs> when, when it comes to the online course it's well worth it Yeah. so this is a
0: rated, top rated teacher. Top rated (laughs) academic. A top rated academic. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Your mother would be very proud as a a a teacher herself. I'm
0: from a family of teachers. I have loads of teachers in my family. You know, aunties, going back generations. We're teachers. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's surprising you didn't actually become a teacher. Well, do you remember I told you the other day I nearly did it. If if it's the squeeze box and the accordion, I had to (laughs) run away. The melodion. I had to run away. (laughs) All right. So that's the new... David williams Monetary Economics course, online. We're going to launch it next Tuesday. And if you want to play, become a Patreon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals
1: on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: I was having a brilliant time as I was standing in Norway, but the little bit of news that I was reading, I kept, the thing that kept coming up was these mile long queues at petrol stations and fellas jumping out of cars and
0: beating them lumps up. out of each other. It just that goes under the banner "Get Brexit Done," yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. The UK, what the UK was warned about about Brexit was that it would gum up their supply chains, right? That basically Brexit by cutting off your nose despite your face, right? Yeah. By basically saying, we're going to trade global Britain with Korea and Singapore, but not the fellas 400 million people who live 30 miles across a little small channel. We're not going to trade with those guys at all. (laughs) So what has happened is, the UK, there's two things going on. One is we'll talk about actually what's happened in the UK. The other thing is, I want to talk to you is about the economics of panic, right? Oh yeah. Economics of panic is something that people don't really appreciate and it's phenomenally interesting. So, but first of all, what's going on in the UK? So, Brexit was a vote against low wages, immigration, and low regulation. Yeah. If you think about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the British model up until then was basically we have lots of immigrants on low wages with low productivity jobs, what they call, right? Yeah. And then the Brits voted against that, right? Yeah. So implicit in the low wages, low productivity are a huge amount of sectors where immigrant workers come in and do the work. Largely in the UK, it seems, in the agricultural area. And in driving driving yeah. truck driving well actually
2: do you remember your man uh, what was his name Tim Martin the guy who owns those horrible pubs the Witherspoons pubs yes he was one of the big proponents promoting brexit uh, the brexit and then he asked that the government to let in immigrants
0: yeah to send the to, to serve pints. <laughs> <to serve> <laughs> although the one thing about Witherspoons I will say is anybody who serves three euro points right yeah shows it can be done. Now that's interesting. Whereas the rest true, yeah. You know, yeah. so so give it- I mean, he he is a, he, he does seem like a bit of an idiot, he's yeah. also an Australian, which is weird. Oh, is he? That's he's an I Australian anti-immigrant Brexiter, right? <laughs> think okay. about that, that right? M- that
2: makes it so much worse. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, uh, but so what happens of course what they've done is they've made it almost impossible for East Europeans who were the backbone of the distribution industry. Yeah. Now you forget that basically. The economy is this incredibly complex organization that goes on behind the shop. So when you Mm. arrive in Tesco's or something and you see the shelves, right, you never think, how do they get there? How did all the products get there? Who made them? What's this just-in-time system? What's the supply chains behind it? Who is actually distributing? Where is it it all going? Where is it coming from, right? We forget that underneath the economy is this unbelievably living organism called the back end of the economy, in a sense, right? Mm. And this is where all the magic happens. And of course, central to that are people, workers. And what the Brits said is, we're going to kick out all the East Europeans or we're going to make it difficult for them, right? And of course, lots of the East Europeans go home during COVID because there's no work. So they all go home, Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, Mm. all these places, right? COVID restrictions are lifted, but East Europeans aren't coming back. And one of the reasons they're not coming back is they're not welcome. Yeah. But they can't get yeah, visas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now the Brits are, it's, it's amazing, they're now giving out 10,000 visas, emergency visas, for people to think about this, in the food industry, right? Yeah. In order to get the food industry up to speed for Christmas. But the problem is, the visa process takes four weeks. So even if they give out the visas today, right, the people won't arrive in the UK until the first week of November. Yeah, Christmas kicks off in the last week of November in terms of everybody getting ready for everything. It's too late. So what you have is this, this is the first Brexit was the like the
2: whole thing about Brexit. And this really shows it up. It was about having your cake and eating it.
0: Yes. But actually what you can't. Yeah. That's what, so basically what has happened in the UK, but we shouldn't be so dismissive of the fact that the problems in the UK could happen everywhere. Right. Yeah. So the distribution, the key to this is the supply chains distributions that happen on the ground that actually make the economy tick. And if they get ruptured, if they get in some way, they have to adapt to some change, right? What you have is it takes a hell of a long time for things to get back to normal. So the first thing that's happened in the UK is oil is transported. It's very interesting. You were in Norway, right? Yeah. Think about the UK, right? The Norwegians and the Brits found oil around the same time. Yeah. Okay. The Norwegians set aside every single cent of that into their sovereign wealth fund and have now financed themselves for the next it's 360 years. It's incredible to see how it the actually Brits, works. The Brits yeah. gave all the oil revenue away in tax cuts. Maggie Thatcher cut taxes all through the 80s, gave all the oil revenue away. Now they have no oil or very, very little and the Scots have what's left of it. Mm. And they have a massive current account deficit. Yeah, So if you think about it, so the, yeah. the Brits have to import money to pay for themselves every single year. Whereas they should be in a position like the Norwegians who have just got amassed wealth and wealth and wealth. Yeah. That. And again, that's all ideology. But if you come back to and Brexit is ideology. So what is happening in the UK is you have a massive bottleneck in certain sectors because they can't get truck drivers to drive. The reason they can't get truck drivers to drive is they kick them out. Mm. Now they're looking to get them back in. <laughs> and of course, your average Romanian or Bulgarian said, hold on a second, is it worth my while going to that country when I'm being treated like a second-class citizen, yeah. and I know I only have a, a visa yeah, you'll be for kicked out in months. a few months
2: anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So this is like this is the chickens coming home to roost. And of course, what has happened is that psychologically, and this is interesting, psychologically in the UK there is a collective memory of the 1970s, which is very, very large. Why? Because Thatcher and the ideology of the 80s and the 90s used to point at the 70s and say, "Look what we got you out of." We were going down the toilet in the mm. 1970s and we turned it around with our ideology, right? Yeah. With our great ideology. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is that if you create, it's like anything, it's like, it's like a boogeyman for kids, right? If you create a myth, okay, if you create a story that the 1970s were appalling, in actual fact, the data would suggest the 1970s were quite good uh, decade to live in everywhere. Right, all right. Uh, which Apart is from the fashion, but anyway, I quite like the fashion. I quite like the fashion.
2: It's coming back around. I quite like a you flare. Can wear your, yeah, I you quite can, like
0: a flare. You can still have your flares from I the seventies. Quite 70s. like a flare. I think musically, it's an amazing decade. I think cinematically, it's an amazing decade. What about the footballers in the seventies? Charlie George, right? Tony well, see, Curry. I,
2: I'll go along with the music and the and the movies, but
0: but the, the handlebar tash and the long hair, yeah, you gotta yeah, go yeah. for it. You know the big froze everything. Anyway, you know. Disco, punk—it's all yeah. coming at the same time. Yeah. True, but true, true. It's really—it's a fascinating decade. But if you politically say the 1970s were the worst decade ever, what then looms very large are images of the 1970s, and the recurring image of the 1970s is people queuing for petrol. That's, That's right. the image that people have in their head well, yeah. of a society that can't even power itself, right? Yeah.
2: We c- always had candles in the drawers candles, as well, all that sort of waiting stuff. for the, the power to go off. So
0: if you look at what's happening now, those images, and actually the Tories have their annual shindig, I think this week in in that's the right. uk yeah, right yeah, okay. yeah. Manchester, So, so those if you think of those images of people queuing for petrol, right, that smacks of a society that's not working, because these are basic things. If you have empty food shelves, even some in your Tesco's and your Asda's or whatever. What people are saying is, hold on a second, this society has been run by morons. And then what's been leaked is the fact that lots and lots of British industry warned the British government as far back as last June that there would be these bottlenecks, there be these problems, we don't have enough drivers, we don't have this, that, mm. and of course the government did nothing. So now this is all coming right now. Can I ask you though, do you think that they did nothing because they didn't
2: understand it, they didn't believe them, or was it just pure negligence?
0: Johnson seems to me to be a very negligent type of person, mm. number one. Number two, he's highly dismissive of news that he doesn't like. And number three, he is an ideologue. So basically, get Brexit done. Everybody who's saying, well, hold on a second, there's a problem at this, that and the other. He's basically blustering the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. it's not normal for the UK not to have contingency plans. Because so the UK is a big, powerful country. It's still the fifth largest economy in the world. It still produces lots and lots of fascinating things and advertising and marketing mm. and finance. So yeah. so it, it has and if you think of a city like London, it has a deep infrastructure that allows a city of 10 million people to live and breathe and work every day. So it's not that this is a society that is not without deep, deep supply infrastructure yeah. in its economy. It really has it. But it's the negligence of the state, not listening to. Now, in the old days, and this is a fascinating thing, in the old days, the Tory party and British big business were one and the same thing. So they'd sit, yes. sit around. That yes. was it was the party of business. And for some reason, over the Brexit negotiations, over the populism, over the this new Toryism, it's moved away from being close to the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry. Yeah. So it's not listening to them at all. So there is a cleavage. And the reason for this is that the Tory jihadis, the Brexit jihadis, regard business as suspect because business was very pro-Remain in the, in, yeah. the, in the referendum because business said, we can't cut ourselves off from the Germans and the French. We do business with them every yeah. day, you know, like get real, right? And of course, this drove a coach and horses through this alliance between business and the Tories. And the, the most graphic example of that is Boris Johnson himself he was foreign secretary. He was asked, what about business? And he said, fuck business. In June, 12 months ago. Did it? Just before, yeah, yeah. This is the, this, this was a big headline. And then of course, you know, a lot of English people i talked to said, hold on a second. If the foreign secretary of the Tory party is saying, fuck business, where do we stand? So you have this extraordinary and That's weird. Incredible. It is incredible, right? Because they don't care. Come Gove me, don't- and, and, and Johnson and of course all the other sort of Brexiters, they don't care because for them, sovereignty is everything and sovereignty is all that matters and the flag and winning and the cross of St. George. But that's
2: and, all meaningless if you have my long queues. at that's stations. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, what, yeah. I,
2: what I find interesting about it as well is, and I wonder, will this in the long run have a positive effect for the UK? Because as you just said, you know, people don't give a second thought to the back end of the business, the stuff that's happening behind, the yeah. supply chains and all the rest. Now all of that has become very real. Yeah, so people are learning about the basics of how of business is done. How, how,
0: yeah, of, of, you know, it, it's 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 a, it's it's like plumbing, right? That nobody, when you go into a house, worries about the pipes behind the walls. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You yeah. assume they work, right? Yeah. And you assume they work until they're blocked, right? Yeah.
2: the big old leak. Or
0: Whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's, the the economy yeah. is is actually the works in a broadly similar way. That's the first thing. Second thing is that you could be right that people may well think, hold on a second, this is a much more complicated beast than we've ever really appreciated. Yeah. But what supply chain bottlenecks materialize as are inflation. So if you think the UK is a highly inflation-prone economy, right, much more so than almost any other Western economy since the Second World War, and the reason for that is the UK, although it's a big economy, is a very open economy. And most inflation in the UK comes through its exchange rate. Mm. And this is something that I don't think many... Explain U- that a little bit more to So me. basically the exchange rate is the external price of the currency. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. when if you import a lot, as the UK does, because it runs a massive trade deficit, right? The price which you pay for your imports is determined by the level of sterling. So if sterling is falling, what is happening is straight away one for one the price of your imports are rising and because you import a lot import prices affect inflation straight away mm. right so what has always happened and this is a this was a big debate in Ireland for many many years because we were much much smaller when we had our own currency was to what extent are we importing inflation because we have a weak currency yeah it's it's called the small open economy model of of, of looking at, at Small economies. The problem with the UK it is it's a small economy despite being a big one. And this is a weird thing to get your head around. Mm, it's on. still the fifth largest economy in the world, but it's small relative to the United States, small relative to the European Union. Yeah. It's small relative to China. Okay. So it's currency, although sterling still is spoken about as a global currency, it is actually the currency of a small country. No, not dissimilar to to the the Brazilian Real or something, right? In terms of so the question then is, what always happens in the UK because of the way in which they have run economic policy for many many years, right? Is when the economy slows down in the UK, right? And I think the UK could go into recession this year, right? Which is really quite shocking for them, right? The rate of interest that people expect in the future is going to fall because the economy is going to slow down, and basically what drives the rate of interest is the demand for money. So if you think the economy is going to fall, are going to slow down, the demand for money falls, rate of interest falls. But ahead of that, the financial markets sell the currency, right? Yeah. So the currency weakens very, very quickly. And then this leads to imported inflation. And because the UK has over a 40-year period sort of destroyed its own manufacturing base, there's nothing in the UK to... You know, so a lot of economists would say, okay, well, if your currency falls and if imports are expensive, then you'll switch and you produce the stuff yourself. But that's not how the economy works. It's too long. It's too, take too much time to yeah. produce the stuff yourself. So you just have to put up with higher prices. So the UK are going to have supply bottlenecks, higher inflation, and a government that looks as if it doesn't really care. And the question is, Johnson is based in the, his whole career is based on, he's the lucky general. kind of gets away with things. Mm. But deep down... You only go so far. Yeah, deep down, I think that this, you know, the winter of discontent looms very large in the UK political mind. And this was an expression that Harold Wilson and Callaghan, the 1970s prime minister, okay, and Dennis Healy, these guys, they were talking about the winter of discontent, right? Now, what the problem is, if you put in, let's say, another spike in COVID on Mm. top of that, right, What you're going to get is you're going to get, I think, this winter, a serious, serious atrophying of the support for Brexit and the support for the Tories, simply because it's impossible to conceive that they're going to turn it around, these supply chain bottlenecks, so quickly.
2: So, okay, if if that happens, and I agree with you, I think because the health system is so ragged, run ragged over the last couple of years, that apart from COVID, with the regular flu, Epidemic that always happens every year. You know that's going to be even stretched even further. But like, what will that mean for British politics if people turn against this whole idea of Brexit? Well, so what? It's too late. It is
0: too late. It is too late. Well, I mean, then of course, what happens is the forces within the UK, so the Scottish nationalists, etc., for change, will become even more emboldened. Right now, what is happening in Scotland is quite interesting in the nationalist side. But a year ago, the nationalists were flying. The polls have narrowed completely, Yeah. right? So it's kind of neck and neck now, but it's not going away. I think what will damage the UK more, and again, I come back to this idea that it's still an amazing economy. It still runs very, very well. It still produces huge amounts of interesting, mm. not particularly meaty or muscular products, but interesting products, right? I mean, for example. What, what do you mean? Well, I mean, basically the UK, I, you can look at the economy between light and heavy. Right. So yeah. a heavy economy is Germany, right? Germany produces heavy things, cars, machines, right. all these sort of things. Physically. So, yeah, physically. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The UK, remember we talked to Paul Donovan, the chief economist of UBS. Yeah. He was saying the UK is a hyper service economy now. It's a light economy. And basically, it reacts quite well to things like COVID and working from yeah. home because it has this sort of well, London innate is that. flexibility. And of course, what Johnson wants to do is good point you make. Johnson's whole idea is leveling up that basically they're going to try and recreate this idea of the northern powerhouse around Manchester. And, of course, Manchester is a huge, again, Manchester is a five million strong city. It's a massive city, right? The size of Ireland. Yeah, and they, of course, they want to try and get jobs going, get industry going in places like Sunderland and Newcastle and the West Midlands, all the places that voted for Brexit. Yeah. The dilemma here is that that demands the government Picking winners. And interestingly, the Tories since Thatcher have always said we cannot pick winners. We are no all-knowing planners. We've got to let the market decide. Yeah. So now what they've done is they flip that in its head. And now what they're saying is we will like to pick domestic winners. Now, ironically, what the UK sorry, when they say that it's like particular companies yeah. or sectors. Sectors, sectors. So right. there's there's a thing in Japan called MITI, and MITI was an internal Japanese department which picked winners which said Sony Toyota Toshiba all these brands we're going to back you to the hilt right Right, okay and that's how. so the Japanese economy was based on central planning nobody seems to kind of appreciate that and in fact the Koreans have adopted exactly the same model incredibly successfully so Korea is one of the most probably the most fascinating economy in the world is South Korea yeah and the The story of the expansion of South Korea from abject poverty in the 60s to extraordinary wealth now is a story that nobody really tells and it's fascinating. Mm. It's a most sophisticated country, a really fascinating country, but they based this on the Japanese model. Now, the Brits used to poo-poo that in the 80s and 90s say, oh, you can't, you know, the market has to decide, right? Mm. So when British industry was collapsing and wasn't being supported by the government and when the car industry went to the wall and coal and all those big, Mm. big steel, those ones they had... The ideological answer they gave was the market is deciding we cannot do this. Now you take Johnson 20 years later. Johnson described himself as a Brexity Hesse, right? Hesse. Brexity Hesse. So Hesse is Michael Heseltine. Heseltine, Heseltine, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Michael Heseltine. Tarzan. Exactly. So (laughs) Michael Heseltine's idea was always that the state should be big and the state should intervene. Yeah. And that put him at odds with Mrs. Thatcher. And that's why they were always having a scrap, right? Yeah. So Johnson has described himself as... Because Thatcher was following the kind of Reaganism. Reaganism and small the free market, small and government, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? So Johnson described himself as, I'm like Heseltine, I believe in state intervention, but I've got this Brexit-y thing going on. I also believe in Brexit. Whereas Michael Heseltine was a big believer in the European Union because he believed, again, back to this idea, the British industry needs Europe to progress yeah. and to, to advance itself. So what you've got is all the inconsistencies that were implicit in Brexit, the anti-immigrant stuff, and then says, well, hold on, don't we depend on immigrants for transport?" <laughs> the anti-immigrant stuff, don't we depend on immigrants for farming? If mean, a big problem for them, they yeah. they can't. But these are all these all these issues were highlighted back in the in the time. Yeah, but they, they chose to ignore. It. Well, it's just it was the bluster of nationalism. This is why we've always got to be very worried about nationalism here too. Yeah, right. Is that nationalism is the last refuge of the scoundrel? Right. That basically, if you look at any country that goes down this nationalist route, it's usually to disguise underlying problems. Within the economy and within the society. Yeah. So the other thing about Brexit, people say, well, it's going to inflame the Scottish nationalists, right? And the Tories said, don't worry about that. We can, we can sort those out. Yeah. Of course, the 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 mess that is Northern Ireland, the protocol, we can go on about that, but we won't bother, right? Yeah. But we know that's a bit of a mess. Yeah. So at every stage, people were warning: Sterling will it will it weaken? They were saying, oh, will it weak? If it weakens, it doesn't matter because it'll make our exports stronger. But you don't have exports, and in order for you to pick winners. To go back to the Japanese idea. It takes years to do that, and my sense is that Britain is just too far behind now. It's too far behind Germany. It's too far behind mm. France. It's actually too far behind Italy. Like we forget, that Italy is the second okay, biggest right. manufacturer in Europe, not France, Italy, not yeah. Britain. You know, people forget that the Italians, and it takes so long to create these companies, these manufacturing yeah. companies. Yeah, because it it's the
2: nurturing and development stage and all of that kind of stuff.
0: And the branding stage and the, again, the supply chains, you need dis- distribution, all this sort of thing. It takes so, so long to do it that if you, you can't do it overnight unless you follow the Irish model, which is you import the businesses, right? Right, okay. So basically what Ireland did is we said, there's no way in the world we will ever create world-class businesses, or capital base here, because of all those problems I've just cited. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a long time. So so how do you leap from poverty to reasonable wealth, you attract in businesses that already exist. They've already done all the hard work. Yeah. And that's where the taxation thing comes in. Right. Okay. And we will conclude here because the, I think the only way the Brits will succeed in leveling up is if they adopt the Irish model of attracting in ready-made companies, you know, there's oven ready companies yeah. that exist and yeah. have done all the hard work before. How do you do that? You do it with your tax system. And that brings us to this week. It looks that the Irish government is going to say, yes, we will go with this 15% tax rate. Right. And that, I don't think is a game changer. I mean, lots of people are saying, well, oh, this is going to change the world. I don't think so at all. I think it'll actually raise revenue here. Because obviously what happens is if your tax goes from 12 and a half to 15, yeah, 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 you make sure. more money. There's, yeah, I, The Department of Finance... In is the saying, short term, you do. The Department of Finance says something, like, we could lose 2 billion in this. I can't understand that. I think that's a figure, to use the great Anglo-Irish expression, plucked out of their arse. <laughs> do you remember him? Where did <laughs> yeah. you get that figure? Trump, yeah. He plucked it out of his arse, right? But come back to the idea of the tax, right? If there is a flat 15% tax, and if Ireland signs up to it, and if that is the way in which the world is going to progress, I don't think it's a huge deal for corporations here. But I do see the UK will need to do something similar because you can't build your own companies. It's just, it's too long. It's mm. too hard. You don't, you don't but, have the
2: time. But there is the risk, though, of Britain attracting some of the Irish-based companies now over there.
0: There is. But then you think, okay.
2: Because we've lost our, our tax
0: advantage. We've lost our tax advantage, but then you have the most important thing for the service industry or people, right? Mm. Because creativity happens in our minds, right? Yeah, yeah. And if the Brits are still insistent on telling Europeans, educated, creative Europeans, as well as ordinary workers, but, you know, high-end workers, you're not welcome here. Well, then the companies that are making these decisions on where to locate will say, okay, tax, that's the same. What about the people? And of course, they'll say, well, are you going to invest in a country where the cleverest people in that region are not allowed travel or work there? or their visas are going to be under some sort of cloud every year? So I think the Brits have to f- realise that the immigrant part of the Brexit offering is actually going to destroy them or it's going to take them years to actually replace those foreign workers with local domestic workers at that level of education, et cetera. Mm. But again, it comes back to Ireland. The problem we have, is you can't house the people. So it's no point saying to, yes. you know, all yeah. these companies, yeah. we've got great talent, or if you want French talent or Italian talent, you can live here and Ryanair will fly them in and out for half, nothing, la, la. We have got to build houses for people. And our bottleneck is a long-term bottleneck. So the UK might have this short-term bottleneck of, you know, petrol and sliced pans or whatever. Supply chains, yep. Our bottleneck is arguably much more difficult to fix because that's a rental accommodation bottleneck. And again, I come back to it. If we don't fix this, all bets are off. Yeah. I said, John, you remember we were going to talk about Japan and China. I really want to get deep into this Chinese property market collapse because I think it's the most significant issue in the global economy for the next five or six years. But you know what? Let's come back to it on Thursday and we'll go deep into whether or not what's happening in China is a mirror image of what happened in Japan. So basically, China and Japan, if you look, Japan grows unbelievably quickly from the Second World War to 1990, right? And then it has a property crash and it doesn't grow again. China has grown unbelievably quickly in the last 30 years now it's having a property crash that they're denying because they always do the question is then does it stop growing and if it does what does it mean for the world so let's come back to that on Thursday I'd like to thank all our Patreon supporters because without you this wouldn't be possible so thank you all very very much and we have a little treat for you coming up we have a new online course We have a new entire podcast, Monetary Economics course, and Monetary Economics at the moment is so important. And we have a fantastic course. We're just finishing it. It's going to be with you next Tuesday. So that's the new David Beck williams Monetary Economics course online. And if you want to play, become a Patreon.